We're going to read, uh, just as we start today, uh, from Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23, and then I'm going to explain uh, what we're doing and what kind of the roadmap is uh, for the weeks that are ahead. So this is Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. If you have a Bible on you, wherever you are, why don't you pull that out now? Otherwise, I'll just read God's word to you this morning. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone. And understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And we thank God for his word as it still speaks to us today. We kick off a brand new series today called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's going to take us through this term and on into the early part of the summer. It's based off this book. It's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, and I thoroughly recommend that it's one of the all-time great. It's a must-read book. It's something I think everyone, every follower of Jesus should read. You can get it online and uh, wherever you get your books. And I wonder this morning if you've ever thought about the role of your emotions or your emotional health when it comes to your Christian journey. We spend so much time talking about right thinking, exploring understanding, wrestling with meaning and contextualizing. And yet I have found that around the church, we are so very full of people who are deeply passionate for God and his work, and yet at the same time, deeply disconnected from their own emotions or the emotions of those who are around them. Like if I asked you today, how does it feel to encounter Jesus? How does it feel to be you right now? How does it feel to encounter Jesus in your world in this moment? How does it feel to be you right now? You see, it seems to me that the message of the Bible and my continuing experience of church leadership is that our information, okay, is far greater, far greater than any information that I can ever give to you or you could speak out. You see, to lead in any context, the church, work, your family, your home, your own life, your internal life is far more important than any gifts, experience, or expertise that you might have. I've obviously been spending uh, far more time in the last six or seven weeks or so uh, with Elle, our daughter. And one of the things that never ceases to amaze you when you spend stacks of time with a little person is how in any given day you observe the full gamut of human emotions in their life, right? Uh, I, I mean, I say that you observe them. What I really mean is that they happen to you, right? A small person just goes with it, okay? I mean, the other day, for example, there was pure joy as we fed horses that were near to our house. There was pure anger at the dinner table. There was the deepest sense of sorrow at the captain 
capture uh, of Everest, the star of the movie, abominable. There was embarrassment when she fell over. There was spontaneous apologizing at something she had done earlier in the day. Like you see it all. And it's easier to see in the life of a small person because uh, it's amplified, isn't it? Like there's this thing that says that she'll grow out of it, okay? She'll grow up. She'll learn to moderate her emotions. She'll get it under control, isn't there? Like there's always that one piece of advice somewhere on the internet that says the next time your child throws a tantrum in a supermarket that you should do the same back, right? You should throw yourself down the ground and start kicking and screaming and then see what they make of it as they look at it, right? Like you don't see that kind of unrestrained outpouring of emotions in adults, do you? We grow up, don't we? But do we? Do we always mature emotionally over time? In Japan, they have this term, karushi, and it means death by overwork. One of the famous victims of karushi was a man called Kamei Shuji. He was a high-flying broker who routinely worked over 90 hours a week in the late 1980s. His company trumpeted his superhuman stamina in newsletters and training booklets. They turned him into the gold standard to which all employees should aspire. And then when Japan's stock bubble burst in 1989, he worked even more hours to try and pick up the slack until in 1990, he died of a heart attack. He was 26. You see, we hold examples like that up, don't we? And yet, looking at it, now something is broken inside, isn't it? We're in an alpha course a couple of years ago that I was leading on. A lady in my group looked across the table at me as we talked about forgiveness and the cross, and she said to me, I will never forgive that man for what he did to me. Something is broken inside, isn't it? Or when you encounter someone in work or friendship circles or family who, for example, cries manipulatively to get their own way, something is broken inside. Or take the example of Bob Pierce, the founder of World Mission, who famously said, just let me burn out for God. And he did and burned every single person in his life who was close to him in the process. Something is broken inside. And then we look at Jesus. And we look at how he dealt with people, how he worked with them. Just looking at that famous story in John 4 where Jesus encounters the woman at the well, he consistently pushes beyond the outside appearances onto what's really going on on the inside. Why are you at the well in the middle of the day? Because you're ashamed? Why are you running from husband to husband? Why, what void are you trying to fill? Jesus is constantly pushing beyond the surface to ask questions that wrestle with what's really going on inside. Jesus was asking her to consider her lifestyle choices as an indication of her thirst for love. What are our external actions telling us about what is going on beneath the surface? Pete Scazzaro, uh, in the book, he writes this. It's not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You see, you can be a dynamic 
gifted speaker for God in public and be an unloving spouse, parent, or friend in private. You can function in a leadership role and yet be unteachable and secure and defensive. You can memorize entire books of the New Testament and still be unaware of your own depression or anger, even passing them on, displacing that onto other people. You can fast and pray half a day a week for years as a spiritual discipline and constantly be critical of others, justifying it as discernment. Your overall health as a follower of Jesus is dependent on your emotional and spiritual health. We need to chip away the veneer to see the chipboard underneath. That's what this series is going to be about. It's going to be about chipping away the veneer so that we can get at what's really going on underneath. You see, I want to grow to be a mature follower of Jesus. And if you want that too, then we need to become a community who constantly chip away the veneer of our own lives with each other so that we might become emotionally mature. And today, as we kick off the series, I want to say that it starts by looking beneath the surface. And as we do that, we find that we are whole people. And secondly, that this requires our whole heart. We are whole people, and following Jesus requires our whole heart. Let's just read these two short passages from Genesis 1 and 2. The first is Genesis 1, 26 to 27. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then it moves on into Genesis 2, verse 7, seven, and it says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You see, here's the thing. We are made not without a mold or free form. We are made in God's image. We are made like him. We are made by him. And if the creation itself wasn't enough, he breathed his own breath into mankind. With one breath, God made us human. God made us, all of us, this way, right? That includes our emotions. And yet for some reason, we in the church have seemed to intend to cut out the emotional portion of who we are. We think it's suspect, irrelevant, and of secondary importance a lot of the time. There's this kind of dangerous thing, uh, thought that goes on in our heads and it goes like this, I should have it all together, isn't there? If you're not feeling that right now, at some stage in your life, you will feel that. I should have it all together, right? I sat through a conference a number of years ago and listened to the keynote speaker as he unpacked everything that he thought a male follower of Jesus should be and have done if they were taking their faith Seriously, like down to achievements you should have, right down to savings in the bank. And that's just what was going on on the outside. Like I should have it all together. These people are following me. I'm in management. I'm a husband. I'm a dad now. I should have it all together. And here's the question today. But what if you don't? You should have it all together is the thought that's in your head. But what if you don't? You see, this message has somehow filtered into our churches that to be human, to be emotional is somehow sinful, or at least it's a little less spiritual than those of us who aren't and are stoic and aren't particularly emotional. 
I mean, in my particular life leading a church, right, in the mainstream denominational world, it seems that so much time is given to try and strip away the human elements of how we should lead. So we're concerned with being particularly objective all the time when the whole point of all I do and I point my life to and yours to is a truth that is subjective. It's a person. We're pointing our lives towards Jesus and knowing him. So how can I cut my humanity, your humanity, from that following? We are more than spiritual beings. God made us whole people in his image. Yet for some reason, we want to exalt the spiritual over the other areas of our lives. Like physically, we ignore our bodies and the limits they're trying to speak to us of. Socially, there's this thing in ministry that says you're not supposed to get too close to your congregation. Intellectually, yeah, it's fine to read just as long as you read the right books. And emotionally, don't, don't get into the gospel so much with emotions. Don't psychologize the gospel. It's as if repressing our feelings is at times treated as some sort of virtue, right? Schizero writes this, denying anger, ignoring pain, skipping over depression, running from loneliness, avoiding confusing doubts, and turning off our sexuality has become a way of working out our spiritual lives. Recognize that? It's everywhere in the church. But these are David Banner's words. The reason I like to describe the goal of the Christian spiritual journey as becoming both whole and holy is that it reminds us that the focus of God's love and salvation is not some part of us, but our whole person. Jesus does not love some immaterial or eternal part of me. He loves me. And Jesus did not die so that some part of me could be saved. He died so that my whole being, I could be made new. Anything less than this trivializes salvation and fractures human personhood in ways that God never intended. The first thing we find as we start to look beneath the surface is that we are a whole person, made in the image of God. And the thing is that that's exactly what Jesus' life shows. When you look at Jesus, he showed that. I mean, just listen to this. I would love to read every one of these passages to you today, but we don't have time, okay? But just listen to this, right? Jesus sheds tears in Luke 19, 41. He's filled with joy in Luke 10, 21. He grieves in Mark 14, 34. He was angry, Mark 3, verse 5. Sadness comes over him, Matthew 26, 37. He felt compassion, Luke 7, 13. He felt sorrow, John 11.35. He showed astonishment and wonder in Mark 6.6 6 and Luke 7.9. And he felt distress in Mark 3 and verse 5. Jesus, the one whose way we are meant to follow, was anything but an emotionally frozen Messiah. I mean, just consider for a moment, okay, the picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. Just look at just how human Jesus was. Pete Scazzaro writes this, emotionally depressed, mentally confused, and spiritually overwhelmed. He is being pushed to the edge of his human limits. We see him falling to the ground and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I had never considered Jesus to be under this kind of emotional stress. Even Jesus displays the full gamut of human emotion. 
And yet so much of our lives in leadership, particularly Christian leadership, is lived in some sort of state of emotional numbness. Or at least that's the expectation. Like we should be able to float above it all, to just be strong, to just keep that locked down and under wraps. But we can't, can we? And we shouldn't. Our emotions are part of what make us us. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice, is what Dan Alander and Tremper Longman wrote. They go on, we are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness and neglecting our intense emotions. We are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. Here's the thing today. Have you ever thought that God wants to and may actually meet you right through feelings like sadness, depression, anger, grief, and fear? Have you ever thought that that's the way that he will and he can meet with you? Emotions are the cry that gives the heart a voice. And we need to give our heart a voice, don't we? To talk to God in our own voice and know his response. I want to say from the start of this series that we're not coming at this trying to major on emotion, saying that emotions are more important than the other parts of what make you a whole person either. We're not saying that at all, okay? This is obviously a series that's going to deal primarily with emotions and their part and who we are as a person, but we're not elevating them to a position of being more important than the other things, okay? But we need to pay attention to them because they are a part of who we are. We look beneath the surface and we find a whole person. But second, we find that we need to engage with our whole heart, right? We need to engage with our whole hearts. Let's just read from Mark 7 again. This is what it said. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by, by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And saying this, Jesus declared all all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Here's the key question today. What is going on in my life and in yours that Jesus Christ is trying to change? What is going on in your life this morning that Jesus Christ is trying to change? I ask that because the vast majority of who we are and therefore what needs to change is hidden beneath the surface. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those videos. Uh, They were popular um, after one of the last kind of David Attenborough series where it dealt a lot with climate change. And there were videos floating around a lot on the internet uh, of what happens when an iceberg splits, right? You know, those huge icebergs. uh, And eventually they split and one part comes 
away. And they almost cause this massive tidal wave of water um, that, that kind of is moved as they split. It's astonishing, right? If you haven't seen it, just go on YouTube and look for it now, right? But it takes me by surprise every single time I see it. I'm like astonished at the sheer volume of water that this iceberg that on the face of it doesn't look that big, but when it, when it eventually breaks away, the, the sheer volume of water that is moved by it is absolutely incredible but it shouldn't astonish me because with an iceberg, the vast majority of the weight is underneath the surface. And if I'm gonna have an authentic relationship with God, then it's gonna need to push beyond my external appearances to what's going on in here. It's gonna need to go beneath the surface. It's gonna have to engage with the depths of who I am, even the shadows and the darker parts of our character, right? It's gonna have to engage the weightier part of who we are, and that's beneath the surface. I'm a reasonably level-headed person. I'm also uh, generally pretty emotionally stable in terms of how I manage my temperament and my responses most of the time. And what comes with that is that generally a lot of people like to think that I have it all together, except my skin always tells. It's always my hands or my eyebrows. There's always a tell that there's more going on beneath the surface, that there's challenge, that there's grief, that there's stress. It always tells in my skin. But so often what we do is that we settle for what is on surface. So all the demonstrably emotional people think that the people who aren't like that just can't express themselves, right? And all of the people who are more reserved feel that the people who do express themselves emotionally all the time are just too much. And yet to do that is still just to look at the surface, isn't it? And the passage we've just read tells us to become, that to become an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus, we need to look toward the heart. We need to look to the weightier portion of who we are, and that's underneath the surface. It's the heart. See, in Mark 7, Jesus has been speaking into a debate about purity laws, mostly about foods, okay? And this was a big deal, right? I know looking at it now, we're probably reading it thinking like, what, how is this a big deal? It was a huge deal then. N.T. Wright says this, some of the most famous martyr stories of Jesus's world were about Jewish people who had been tortured and killed for refusing to eat unclean food, particularly pork, right? It was that big a deal. Having said that, if I wasn't able to eat bacon again, I'd probably make a big deal out of it too, right? But Jesus is trying to teach the opposite way of the kingdom, and it was a sensitive issue. So much of what was important in that world and at that time was absolutely about your outward actions said about you. And Jesus is saying that impurity is not a matter of the stomach, it's a matter of the heart. And there are four components today I've kind of lifted from that, that short passage that we read and, I, and our evidence through Pete Scazzaro's book that are four components to look at if we're going to go beneath the surface of our own lives to our hearts and begin to live as emotionally healthy people. And the first of them is this, it's an awareness of what you're feeling and what you're doing. So this short passage in Mark 7 is following what has been a pretty feisty theological debate between Jesus, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. 
And the thing is that throughout Jesus' life, he was not always received the way that we think he should have been or the way you might have expected where we stand now, right? And an even stronger example in Luke 4, we get this in just one chapter, okay? He is tested in the wilderness all around his identity by the devil. He then teaches in Nazareth, ultimately gets rejected by people from his hometown. They mock, ask, wait, isn't this Joseph's son in an undermining way? The carpenter? And after that, he announces the kingdom and his ushering it in and they mock him further. And then eventually by the end of that particular story, they try to throw him off a hill. The next story, he drives out evil spirits and even the spirits recognize him for who he is, but yet people don't. And then he heals many more people, so much so that some people try to get him to stay where he is. And yet he refuses and sticks to the mission that means he needs to go elsewhere to preach. That's just one chapter in Luke 4. See, here's the thing. Jesus was incredibly self-aware. Jesus was able to separate himself from the expectations of the crowds, his family and his disciples, his relationship with his father, freedom from the pressures of those all around him. He was not afraid to live his own unique life and mission regardless of other people's agenda for his life. He was self-aware, not self-conscious. The problem is that we get it the other way round. We think we're self-aware, but really a lot of the time we're just self-aware conscious. We need to find that same sure sense of what we are about. What are we feeling? How are we aware of who we are and what we feel right now in this moment in our lives? We need to be aware and then responsibly listen and express our emotions through that. That's the first component. The second component is we need to ask the why or what's going on question. Hear those words from Mark 7, verses 20 and 21. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. What is our why? What is our motivation? We need to get the motivation question of our lives because it's from the heart that our actions flow. The problem is we spend so much time just looking at people's actions, looking at our own actions, and we never get to the motivating factor, which is the heart. Why am I always in a hurry? Why am I so impatient? Why am I so anxious? Why am I overly concerned that others tell me that I'm doing okay as a leader? Why am I dreading the meeting that you have this week? Why do I avoid confrontation? Why do I need to immediately reply to messages or phone calls? Or why do I ignore them altogether? We need to get to our motivations, and that means we need to get to the heart. We need to ask the why questions. But here's the thing, right? Jesus is not just saying that if we could just get in touch with our deepest feelings, then we would find our real identity and with it all of the happiness and fulfillment, right? He's not saying that because what if when we go searching ourselves, we find that the feelings that most truly express who we are are murderous, envious, unforgiving, selfish, and on and on and on. What if what we find when we go digging underneath the surface is that all is not right in there. C.S. Lewis, in Surprised by Joy, shared his experience shortly after coming to faith of what he found when he took a good hard look inside himself. And this is what he writes. For the first time I examined myself 
with a seriously practical purpose. And there I find what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. What we find when we dig deep is often not pretty. And so in our response, a lot of the time, we turn to legalism, don't we? We turn to rule keeping, box ticking, and applying that to everybody else around us too, don't we? And legalism is really just when we think better of ourselves than Jesus does. What we need is salvation, because that's when we think the same of ourselves as Jesus does, hopeless and helpless. Which brings us to the third component, which is letting the gospel speak to our emotional self. You see, the hard look at what's going on inside isn't the end of the story, right? We need to, because when we do, we often understand and come to see the brokenness that is going on in our own hearts, but thankfully that's not the end of the story. In the case of Mark 7, the whole point of saying that it's the heart that needs to change is because Jesus is offering a cure for the heart. You see, the purity regulations that now might seem so kind of old school, so foreign to us as we read them, so legalistic. What they were was really just a culture reflecting their concerns about the threat of invasion from outside, right? The Jews in the Middle East had for centuries been surrounded and infiltrated by paganism, both as a cultural force and literally as a military might. So this is their way to respond and to push back as if to say, we are Jews, we are different, we don't live like you, right? They were setting boundaries up around themselves to make it obvious that they weren't like the rest of the world. And the thing is, there's lots to admire about that, isn't there? But they were just a signpost to Jesus. And yet here he was offering the reality. He was saying, you don't need signposts anymore, not because the signposts were worthless or because they were wrong, but precisely because they were correct. Here I am. I am to be the reason you're made pure. I am the reason you are different. I am the reason you don't live like anybody else. Give up the signposts. Follow me. Give up the signposts. And follow me, because when you look beneath the surface, the gospel, as it speaks to you and I today, says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hoped, because Jesus lived and died in your place. The truth when we look beneath the surface of our lives is often not pretty. You are more broken than you ever dared believe you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. You see, you can either look at the world and you can look at your life and believe that the problem is out there somewhere. And the solution to that problem is just answer the question, what can I do about it? What can I fix? How can I buy my way out of this problem? Because that's what most of the rest of the world believes. Or you can trust in Jesus. And come to understand that the problem is not way out there somewhere. It's in here, underneath the surface. And the solution is what Christ has already done. We can become do people or we can become done people. You have nothing 
to prove. Wherever you are this morning, whatever your background looks like, whatever your present circumstances look like, whether life is going well or it's going badly, whether you feel like you're following Jesus faithfully and you're on fire for Christ this morning or whether you feel really deeply distant from him, I want to tell you today that if you are in Christ, you have nothing left to prove. You are valued, you're loved, you're accepted by Jesus. You can be free to be you. Come out of hiding. This is your invitation today to become an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus. It starts by looking beneath the surface. It starts by an awareness of yourself, an awareness of what you are for. It goes on to ask the why question of your life, looking at the motivation of your heart, realizing that the picture in there is not as rosy as you probably thought it was, that you're broken but you come to realize that we look at the state of our hearts, the state of our lives, not in the light of anything else, but the light of the gospel, which says you are valued, loved, and accepted. You have nothing left to prove. And the final component today is that we need to get rid of the glittering images of our lives. Every so often in life, when you sit down to have coffee with someone or you've got a meeting in work, uh, you become aware that you have something stuck in your teeth, right? And the reason you become aware is not because you've seen it or because you've felt it, but because you realize that the person you're talking to is talking to your teeth, is looking only at your teeth. Like they can see it and now they can't take their eyes off it. And we try to cover up so often what's going on in our lives by our outward behavior, don't we? By the things that we say and we do, by our displays, and yet most of the weight beneath the surface, Jesus is looking right at it. With most of the weight of your life beneath the surface, Jesus is looking right at it. And we need to get rid of our own glittering images of ourselves. If there's one thing I've learned in being married uh, over the last 10 years or so, it's that your other half gets to see just how much of a wreck and an awful person that you truly are. In fact, Joy will often tell me, you're an awful person, right? Normally it's as she like stubs her toe and I laugh at her or somebody falls over and I can't stop at laughing. Uh, she will often turn around to me and say, you're an awful person, right? And she's right, okay? She's right. In there, there is an awful broken person. But yet I have never felt so loved, so free, as I am when internally I am exposed to be as flawed and helpless as I really am to the one I love and find that I am accepted, loved, and trusted still. We need to let it out. We need to let God at it. And that's where we find Jesus. If you want to become an emotionally healthy person, it starts by looking beneath the surface of your life. And the first thing you find as you do that is that you are a whole person. You should not suppress, you should not hold back, you should not act as if you don't have emotions. You do. They're part of the way you are made, made in the image of God. And so we need to think about, become aware of, and speak out our emotions. Because the second thing is that following Jesus is going to take our whole heart. That 
Jesus says that our actions, our outward behavior flows from the internal state of our hearts. And if we want to start to look beneath the surface, start to open up what's really going on internally, then if we're going to do that, then we need to start to have an awareness. We need that awareness to start to ask the why question of our lives, to look at the brokenness of our heart, then to let the gospel at it and transform it. And then to put away the broken images as we begin to feel free to be ourselves. Just as I wrap it up today, you know, as I was preparing this week and thinking through this stuff, I wanted to say that normally I find that if God is trying to change something in my life, that it nearly always involves pain. You know, I think a lot of the time we like to think that it's going to be a prophetic word at a conference. It's going to be some, a really lovely experience. It's what is going to cause our lives to change. But actually, most of the time in my life, it's felt like pain. Because pain is usually a stimulus, right? In fact, unless there's enough discomfort, we usually aren't prepared to take the long, hard look at our lives. Cloud and Townsend in their book Boundaries write this, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. And I feel like we need to be reminded of that today. Maybe there is pain in your life. Maybe in a particular way you are experiencing pain at this time. Maybe this season has brought with it an awful lot of soul searching. Maybe it has brought to the surface some of those things that are lurking somewhere deep inside, thrown up big questions about who we are and the way we live our lives, caused deep and difficult conversations with the ones you love, made you aware of the shadow in your own life. I just want to say today that maybe the pain is the catalyst for change in your life because you will change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain required to change. John Wimber wrote this. Remember the economy of the kingdom is simple. Every time we come to cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. Don't hold back because it hurts. What is God trying to change in your life right now?